One of the most controversial realities that you'll find closely reading the New Testament is the sharp distinction between the Jesus of the pages of the New Testament and perhaps the revisionist portraits that you find in so-called historical critical methods that try to recreate in air quotes historical Jesus. The Jesus of the New Testament undeniably claims to be the Son of Man, the divine figure of Daniel chapter 7, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. The Jesus of the New Testament clearly in the Gospel of John identifies himself as the I am that I am, the Yahweh voice of the burning bush. The Jesus of the New Testament is indeed a contrarian to religious forms of oppression, but at the same time observes lovingly and loyally the customs of his people and is deeply in congruity with mainstream centers of Judaism at the time. The Jesus that we find in the pages of the New Testament also truly does, in the presence of many eyewitnesses, perform laudable, incredible miracles, attesting to his unique authority as the son of David, a royal title, and of course, as the son of God, which personally, I believe, is not just a royal title, but in light of passages in the book of Hebrews, for example, uh, a reference to deity. It's a polyvalent title that could, yes, mean king of the Jews, but also often means so much more, such as he who is like Melchizedek, as the anonymous author of Hebrew states, uh, having no beginning of days and no end of days either, without father or without mother. Clearly a reference in the mind of the author of the book of Hebrews to his deity. As Jesus does have a biological mother, uh, nevertheless, he is identified as the son of the Virgin, and indeed as the creator of heaven and of earth, truly God and truly man, as all the Orthodox creeds state. Why am I rehearsing what is understandable? Because many of these facts are not taken at face value in academic circles. Many of these are uncomfortable because they point to the textual reliability of the New Testament. But what if I told you that not only if we look at these elements closely, does this demonstrate the powerful presence of the reality of Jesus in historical circles, but also points out something even more uncomfortable, even to many mainstream uh, so-called conservative Christian voices. Jesus in Luke 11 points out concerning the Pharisees that they are guilty of all the blood that is spilt from Abel, the son of Adam, to Zechariah, who dies between the altar and the temple. There's a big debate whether that Zechariah is Zechariah at the end of the Hebrew canon of the Bible, or is actually the father of John the Baptist, martyred in outside extra-biblical sources. But what is clear from that statement is Jesus believes in a historical Abel, and by distinct understanding there, if we were to be logical, a historical Adam as well. Jesus refers to Jonah being three days and nights in the belly of the great fish as an analogy to his own time in the heart of the earth. 
clear reference to his own belief in the historical Jonah. Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels makes reference to no, not, none other than Noah, as in the days of Noah, so too shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So the historical Jesus believed in a historical Abel and by extrapolation, the reliability of the account of the fall with Adam. Jesus clearly believed in the reality of Noah and Jonah as historical figures. Now, there are plenty of voices and more liberal and even some uh, self-proclaimed conservative voices of biblical scholarship that will say, well, Jesus is condescending to people's perspectives at the time. The problem is there is absolutely, and I'm aware this is a, a strong statement of mine, very strong. I believe there's absolutely minimal evidence. I'm not going to say none, but minimal evidence of this in regards to Jesus's behavior as a historical figure. Uh, the historical Jesus uh, certainly is not condescending to people's uh, cultural understandings by claiming to be God, as in claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath in Mark 2 or the Son of Man throughout all four canonical Gospels. Jesus is not uh, condescending to people's cultural motifs by having in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Mary, the sister of Martha, sit at his feet, a gesture uh, of a disciple. I can't name off the top of my head. I could be wrong, and I invite people to fact check this. I can't name another rabbi in the history of Judaism who had female disciples other than Yeshua of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. So the fact that we have indeed Christ radically breaking from those norms there. Now I could go down the list on and on from overturning the tables of the money changers or, for example, the, the demonstration of divine power in a unique way. What I would ultimately argue is that on the lips of the historical Jesus himself, not only do we have claims to deity, but we also have claims to the reliability of the Old Testament, as we would call it as Christians. And why is this? I, I believe Paul makes this very clear in the book of Romans when he draws an analogy between Adam and Christ. And why is this analogy quite powerful and quite potent? It's an analogy that demonstrates the reason why you have the events of the crucifixion. The crucifixion is universally understood by the authors of the New Testament, and I believe on the lips of Jesus himself, frankly, from the cross, as the fulfillment of Psalm 22 and of Isaiah 53, which is a substitutionary offering in place of all the collective sins of the world. And I would fundamentally argue that the crowning of thorns is a clear reference to the curse of the earth by thorns by Yahweh in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of Adam. If you don't have a historical fall of Adam, why do you have these echoes in the historically reliable accounts, eyewitness accounts of the crucifixion of Jesus? I will understand why many would find this an uncomfortable reality. A literal fall that occurred, whether it was 6,000 years or 
you know, millions of years ago, I personally hold to a conservative understanding of this, closer to about 6,000 years ago, of a historical Adam means that we cannot simply write off the passages of the Old Testament that are uncomfortable to us as symbolic. But when we understand deeply the textual veracity and authority of the Word of God as holistically reliable, what we end up with is uh, a weapon against the powers of darkness as Jesus wields the Word of God against Satan in uh, Matthew, I believe, chapter 4 and Luke chapter 3. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But also, too, as a clear blueprint of where do we come from? Who are we? Where are we going? And this does not outrule, for example, how you work out chronologies, how you work out, for example, now how an ancient author viewed history versus a contemporary author views history. I'm aware that there are good and varied interpretations of this. But we cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater, as the phrase goes. Uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, certainly when it comes to the archaeological record, and I think it's far more accurate than meets the eye, as has been discussed already. And I believe that we are certainly in a position and in a place where we must, as conscious individuals, examine these texts with a heart ready for miracles and a heart ready for the divine. If we are not willing to do this, then we will be able, in the analogy given by C.S. Lewis, to understand that a star is made of gas and molecules without realizing that in Narnia, a star literally is an angelic being containing a soul. Just as you cannot put a human soul under a microscope, we cannot put the spirit of the New Testament under a microscope either.